Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Monday, April 24th. A Calgary-based medical company is using cutting AI technology to search for a cure for cancer and has already made great strides toward a groundbreaking treatment for breast cancer. We get details from Zubin Kothawala, CEO of SkyMount Medical. Could there be a link between hearing loss and dementia? We get details on research that points to a connection between the two from Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. And finally, it's Motivational Monday, our weekly segment aimed at helping you live your best life and get your week off on the right foot. This time out, we hear the incredible story of Janice Doherty, who took a leap of faith years ago and is now known for her work as an artist spreading joy with garden gnomes. How can advancements in vaccine technology and artificial intelligence be implemented in the fight against cancer? Well, joining us to discuss is Zubin Kothawala, CEO of Calgary-based SkyMount Medical. Good morning to you, Zubin. Good morning. How are you doing today? Good. Thank you for coming in. We love it when guests so we can come in and, and see their faces and have a conversation. And this is a conversation that very much grabbed our interest. So we'll get to the fight that many, many medical companies and all humanity has been fighting, it seems like, since the beginning of time. But first, SkyMount Medical. Tell us about the work your company does and uh, the history behind your company. Well, SkyMount Medical Group is a new hybrid of medical biotech companies that are emerging, uh, taking on artificial intelligence to help uh, advance, uh, shorten the time, decrease costs, uh, increase the number of diseases that you're trying to target. Uh, it creates a great efficiency in the uh, medical industry. We think of ourselves as a Swiss Army knife for pharma to use to help uh, reduce costs and address more uh, sicknesses and illnesses. Uh, so what we've done is we've partnered with Louisiana State University Computer Science Department. They started a platform 10 years ago called Deep Drug. And Deep Drug is an AI-based drug discovery and drug development uh, software. And what we have is a commercialization agreement with them to further it to get to industry. Can you explain then for, you know, to kind of dumb it down for, for those of us, because we hear lots lately about AI in the news, chat GPT, for example, that sort of thing. So when you're talking about AI in this case, how does AI or artificial intelligence help in the research then? What, what is it you're using it for? Well, um, AI is, is a very general term. Mm -hmm. You know, the, not all AI is the same. Uh, a lot of it is more like logic. And then you have uh, self-thinking. And that's kind of a fear that people have with ChatGPT right now. People build a relationship, etc. cetera. Uh, what we have is a prediction AI. So we digest data and then we make predictions. So uh, we have over a quarter million drugs in our database, meaning all the data, all the wins and the failures uh, in our database. And our AI is now has all of that data available when you're deciding what drugs that possibly could work to target um, a, an illness or a disease. And that's what we have right now is we have a doctor, basically an AI doctor that has all of that data available, not only the quarter million drugs, but over 6 million natural products. So we're not limited to drugs. So during the COVID pandemic, uh, we had shelved a, 
a new antibiotic that we we're working on <clears throat> and targeted COVID-19. And we had early samples. We had 1,100 samples of COVID, and we saw four mutations early, early in the pandemic. So we decided to target the body and protect the body instead of targeting the, the, the virus. Mm-hmm. And in turn, we came up with 2,000 different candidates in a matter of one afternoon. Wow. And then we took 56 of them, the top, and ran them through preclinical. We got uh, uh, acceptance to clinical one, clinical two studies within one year of the start. And what would it normally take? Uh, drug years, discovery so. just uh, on its own takes three years. Mm. Drug development takes seven. And uh, we did it on a $12 million budget. Incredible. Yeah. yeah. So let's, uh, the, the headline and the, what we brought you in with Zubin was, of course, we're speaking with Zubin Kothawala, of course, CEO with SkyMount Medical, headquartered here in Calgary. The, the cancer fight, obviously, this is, you know, the, that got our attention. The fight to, against cancer and to find a cure or the next level treatment. How would you describe what your mission is and, and where you folks are with, with that? So we are, uh, for breast cancer, this is something that's close to our chief science officer. He, is, he has been working in cancer for a long time. Dr. Uh, Kish Wasan, he's a head of um, global neglected diseases at UBC. He was the head of uh, the Dean of Pharmacy at University of Saskatchewan, along with Dr. Supatrick Mukopadier. That's a tough one. Now, he's our computer scientist. And uh, he is the one who started the breast cancer fight in estrogen-positive, aggressive breast cancer, but to treat it. And uh, again, we're, we're targeting a treatment. And the AI has developed quite a number of pre-existing drugs that were developed for other uses. And what we've been able to do is repurpose them towards treating breast cancer. And, and that's the thing is... There are so many drugs that have been developed over these decades by pharma, not knowing that they can be used for other indications, such as our COVID drug. It was actually a pinworm combined with a bone cancer drug. Really? And uh, again, getting to market is easier because they already have been tested through clinical. uh, And if it's a drug combination, it might take a a full clinical too, but... Your time to get to market and to treat people is shortened greatly. So AI is able to do what humans simply don't have the power to do at this point, right? You can search through all of these drugs, all of the information that results from them, put it all together and perhaps come up with something that hadn't been thought of before. That's kind of the gist of it, right? A boardroom full of doctors, pharmacologists that put their brains together and they, they look but the thing is, with our AI, we'll immediately come up with drug candidates. And then we'll also do drug combinations. And we have something called the toxicity filter. 90% of the drugs that get to, let's say, uh, clinical three, they fail due to toxicity. We already know it's not toxic before it even hits clinical. So that, that's a really uh, powerful tool. Fascinating. So I guess the, the trepidation when we talk about artificial intelligence is that, you know, 
that they're just going to be delivering these drugs and maybe manufacturing them without a human input. But, uh, you know, to, to again, bring it down to plain English, you funnel down the thousands and thousands of candidates to a handful, and then they come into the hands of the men and women working in your field, the scientists who can scrutinize a few instead of trying to scrutinize thousands of options. Correct. So the human touch is still very much there. It is. Um, in fact, uh, it, it took some time for our AI team to work closely with our medical team. It, and uh, we had a uh, peer-reviewed article published in Drug Discovery Today, and we found that that article that they worked on brought them together. And it, it, the pharmacologists had to learn uh, to depend on the AI yeah. and to know it's actually uh, a strong tool. And we got through that. It was great. It's amazing. Well, we look forward to having you back in when you have found that cancer treatment using your AI and all the amazing team members that you have on board. So thank you so much for coming in and sharing your knowledge with us. Thank you so much. It's been a, a good time. Thanks. Really appreciate it. Is there, Zubin, is there a website people can go to to find out more about you, what you guys are doing? It's skymountmed.com. Skymountmed.com. Thank you so much. Zubin Kathawala is the Chief Executive Officer of Calgary-based Skymount Medical, headquartered here in Calgary, staff across the U.S. and Canada doing amazing work. Thank you so much for your time. Could the use of hearing aids help reduce dementia? According to a new study on the topic, untreated hearing loss may be associated with an increased risk of some types of dementia. To talk about it, we are joined this morning by Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Good morning, Dr. J. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us. This is an interesting connection. What can you tell us about this research? Well, this, this is not new, new news in many ways, but I think this is one of the biggest studies that really uh, putting uh, sort of laying this to rest in some ways. So this was a UK study basically looking at, at data from 437,000 individuals over a 12-year period. So a massive amount of data, and they looked at risk factors, they looked at time, and then looked at dementia and what were the uh, sort of what led people to get more demented or less demented. And hearing loss appeared to be one very significant risk factor uh, that led to dementia and people who treated that risk factor within that 12-year period had much less dementia. Hence the conclusion that hearing loss might lead to dementia and treating hearing, hearing loss with hearing aids might actually prevent dementia in those uh, mm. people who were treated. So very, very interesting um, and it, it has a lot of implications for a lot of people. Does the study give any, you know, indication of how severe the hearing loss has to be as to be called or uh, looked at as a marker for dementia? Or does it matter even uh, as far as the hearing loss or is just starting to occur in somebody? And that could be a sign. So great question. I, I, you get the feeling from this study is the more severe, the more likely you are to be having dementia. But it would be severe enough to need a hearing aid. That's a bit of a controversial statement. Uh, just that because, um, you know, and again, if we get into the treatment, hearing aids are problematic for a lot of people. A lot of people are told they need them, they they go get them, and then they never use them because they're so hard to work with. But I think it's a severity enough to need a hearing aid, meaning it has to be at least moderate or severe to some degree. Very mild hearing loss, usually you can manage without, so that would not be captured in this data. Yeah, and, you know, because you, you touched on that a little bit, but accessibility of hearing aids is tough, too, for a lot of people because they are so expensive. Yes, there's so many. So this is a problem with this study. I, I think I, I tend to agree with it, 
but I wish we had a better way to manage this that was a lot easier, that was mm-hmm. cheaper, easier, that worked really, really effectively. Now, I know audiologists will dis- disagree and they'll be upset because they believe that they do their job right they can't fit um, people with hearing aids that really work well, that aren't that expensive. But boy, that's not what I hear my patients tell me uh, who always seem to struggle with this. And this is unfortunate because if this study is true, we need to be all over this. We need to be screening hearing at earlier ages. We need to be treating people who really have it because if we could prevent dementia, that would be a huge play for a uh, a lot of people. So this is really important coming out but it forces us to what do we do with this information? How do we best use it so we can help people who are getting progressive hearing loss so that they can manage that and then prevent this? Does this study focus on a specific age demographic, Dr. J? Uh, definitely the more elderly. Um, uh, and they were following, this would be in that 60 to 70 year range, which is typically when we call sensorineural hearing loss happens. It's where the aging, your ear ages, so it slowly loses its ability to hear. So, and that typically happens in that age bracket, so 60s, 70s, 80s for sure. So it's the elderly population. I want to take it back a bit to the hearing aid topic in that portion of this conversation because I was kind of shocked. I guess I've, if you don't know, you don't know. A, a friend of mine, about my age, so close to 50 years old, a few years ago, due to work, worked in a very high noise environment, was fitted with hearing aids. When he first, he wore them for quite a while till I even noticed the technology and where hearing aids have come from maybe what we thought back in the day from grandma and grandpa wearing them. Boy, it is incredible. They are small and they can be very effective, right? Oh, absolutely. So I think the technology has advanced greatly. I think it needs to go a lot farther, but there are a lot of hearing aids now where the cosmetic uh, nature of it is a t- much much better. They're they're very slick. They're small. They're they're uh, you know unnoticed for the most part and work very very well. There are a lot of hearing aids now that have multiple settings. Uh, if I'm in a very crowded room, I can change the settings so that it filters out noise. Just just the same way as our um, there's so much uh, technology now with with you know computers and cell phones and audio systems for home stereos etc i mean we can do a lot digitally so these hearing aids are now starting to use that technology where i can control my my hearing aid with my cell phone and change the settings or change the the frequencies so that i can hear better in different settings that's a huge advancement and i think the future uh you know if we want to take this to a nice positive conclusion i think the future is extremely good for this area because as, uh, as all our technology gets better, hearing aids will get better and better and better for cheaper, right, for less and less money over time, just like every other electronic. So I think in the future we will do better. We just need to get there, and yeah. we need to get there fairly quickly, I think. Speaking of, you can connect your Bluetooth to your uh, your hearing aids, and, and you can listen to your music through your hearing aids instead of wearing headphones. You can listen to your TV through your hearing aids. So some great advancements for sure, and they can be very expensive. But when and how often should we get our hearing tested, Dr. J? Oh, there's, you know, I mean, I have, there's uh, no great answer to that question. I think if um, just screening, like if you honestly believe your hearing to be normal, it's pretty unlikely a screening test is going to be positive. But it's when I'm starting to struggle, when if I'm in a crowded room and I'm starting to miss conversations, if somebody, you know, speaks very uh, quietly and they have a higher pitched voice and I can't hear them anymore, I think I need my hearing tested. And that should be probably every few years. Uh, because things can change over that time. But most people, 
know if they have problem. This is a rarity where it's like, oh my God, I, I'm deaf and I had no clue. That that would be very unlikely. Usually people know that they're struggling in the social settings particularly. What about when your wife says you need your hearing checked? Does that not count? Or is that... It's different. Okay, just by... Totally I'll, different. I'll have to, uh, I'll have to sign up. Yeah, uh, I hear that a lot. Too, so, yeah, no. uh, absolutely. So that's a little different. Okay, but in the meantime, uh, that was great, uh, Dr. J. Thanks for your information, and thanks for sharing uh, the uh, information in that study. We appreciate you it. You Dr. Ted Jablonski, our on-call family physician. Spreading joy one gnome at a time. That is what this week's Motivational Monday guest is doing. After recovering from breast cancer, then living through the pandemic, Janice Doherty didn't know what to do with her life, but she's figured it out now, and she joins us to explain. Hi, Janice. How are you? I'm good, Sue. How are you? Excellent. Thank you so much for being with us. Okay, so you are the owner of Gnome and Garden. We'll give the website, gnomeandgarden.ca. Tell us why in the world you started making gnomes. Well, it's a funny story. Um, As you had mentioned uh, before, I had uh, recovered from breast cancer. And then just as that was, I was recovering from that, we got hit with the pandemic. And one day I came walking downstairs into my husband's office and tears in my eyes. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing with my life. And he spun his chair around, probably out of pure frustration because this was happening on a quite regular basis. And he says, why don't you make gnomes? And in that moment, I could have said, are you nuts? Mm-hmm. But I took, a, I took a bit of a pause and I thought, why not? I've never done it before. I've, I, the only clay that I remember ever working with was back in, I think, elementary school when you make that ashtray or whatever yeah. it was. And mine was stuck up in the cabinet at my parents' uh, kitchen and never saw the light of day. So I thought, well, let's see what happens. And I started at my dining room table and I just started making gnomes. And then I taught myself how to make molds. And I, within a month, I had sold my first little set of nuggets, which is my little tiny gnome. And um, when I was doing my numbers at the end of the year last year, um, I had sold well over 2,200 nuggets alone. Awesome. Wow. Yeah. Well, but what's interesting, I want to take it back, Janice. Your husband says make gnomes. <laughs> That's incredibly <laughs> random. Uh, did you have an affinity for gnomes? Were norms, gnomes something that you had around the, the home to begin with and he thought you could do this? How, how did that work out? It, well, I wasn't the one with the affinity for gnomes. It was him. He had been collecting gnomes for, for years. And what was really interesting is I had forgotten that about a year prior to that, I repainted all of the gnomes that we had in our backyard because they were fading and they just weren't looking very good. And um, I think he probably thought, well, you know, she likes to she likes to work with gnomes. Why don't you make gnomes? So I am so glad I listened to him. <laughs> It's funny, thing, just the things that kind of happen, right? And you would never in a million years suspect if you if you could go back and think, but then at the same time, why not, right? So I'm online right now, gnomeandgarden.ca. You, you've got packages, like you can even get your own paint a gnome kit. <laughs> you've got the Ohm gnome, which is, a, I guess, sort of the, is, it, is that the patriarch of the family? Well, he he actually, he came to me. Here's a funny thing. My gnomes come to me in dreams. And I wake up the next morning, it's like, I need to make one that looks like this. So that's how he came about. And I actually, I, I documented um, trying to make him. And I kept putting up pictures of my failures. And 
I would I would make I make my gnomes out of clay and then I make a mold of them from that and then the original obviously gets destroyed while you're trying to take them out again but he he was the biggest one because my my um my original feed is small stature and then I thought oh my goodness he's 7 inches tall he's huge and now I've got people asking me if I'll make them like up to a foot tall and I've got to figure out where my small stature stops at. So I'm, I might, I might, I might try a, a one foot tall gnome and see what happens. I love it. When, you know, the, the gnomes. I'm not sure if they had a resurgence after we all moved into the garden during the pandemic. But for me, the gnomes have always been, you know, the the guardians of the garden. It's something cool to look at. But what do gnomes represent to you, Janice? Is there a special representation when you see a gnome? I, I think just the whimsy of life like I'm I've always I've always had a um, a very youthful side to my life I'm the one that jumps in the puddles I'm the one that stacks up rocks I'm I'm the one that always plays and I find gnomes to be very playful and I think that's my little nugget who's an inch and a half by an inch and a half is by hands down my most popular my most popular gnome and there's something about him when i'm painting him and it, like imagine 2200 of those <laughs> and painting the same thing over and over and over and over but that's not what it is for me like every one of these when they come to life is i don't know it it just it just feels so good and that's the joy that I'm spreading around with these and there's not a single person that hasn't smiled when they've seen them, when they've picked them up. I even, I had a show with uh, the Calgary Horticultural Society and a gentleman came walking by with a very stern look on his face and he goes, I don't like gnomes, but I like yours. <laughs> and, <I keep> walking. <laughs> and you know what, honestly, I, I've, you know, I, we've, we know each other and I follow you on Facebook and, and I saw your posts on Friday, after Andy and I were talking about, oh, we don't have anybody booked for Motivational Monday. Who should? And I saw your post. And I'm like, well, that's it. Because I was smiling. I thought it was adorable. I've watched you through your your gnome journey, and I thought this is a perfect Motivational Monday. So you know, so on that note, and and seeing you know your journey through this time, through the pandemic, finding something that gave you joy. What would be some tips you could give our listeners? You know, as you look back at what you've accomplished and discovered. Oh, the, the biggest thing, and you hear this a lot, is that there are no rules, there are no timelines. If you want to start, I'm almost 60. If you want to start something at any time in your life, go for it. There is, there's no rules to stop you from making gnomes at 58 years old. <laughs> wow, incredible. Yeah, there, there it is. Sue said earlier, better late than never um, is one of her <laughs> tips. But within this change and within this new path, Janice, was there ever a time where you started this and said, you know what, this is too much for me, or maybe this isn't my path? And what was it that pushed you to go further? Because you have success today. Was there ever a snag? Oh, I've I've come across I've come across quite a few things when when you're starting out from nothing and trying to turn it into something, and there's a lot of entrepreneurial hurdles that you have to go through along the way the latest one is cpp 
I had no idea that I had to be contributing to all that stuff. And then I, I think to myself, is this what I want to be doing? And then I just, I have that moment of every day is, has that feeling like Christmas. Like it's not, it's not something that, that, that just happens in December now for me. It's every single day. And I thought, what would I be like if I wasn't doing that every single day? Good for you. I think that's pretty powerful, you know, and especially, you know, as you said, you, it's, you're not 20 anymore, but finding something that gives you joy, I think that is super key, right? For We have to get up in the morning and do something. Why shouldn't it be something that we love? Absolutely. And like I said, spreading joy one gnome at a time is exactly what I do. Even I'm right now I'm fighting COVID, but I am still pumping out gnomes. So good for you. It keeps me going. Good for you. Incredible. Thank you for sharing your story. Thanks for joining us on Motivational Monday, Janice. We appreciate it. You're welcome. Thank you. That's Janice Doherty, of course, owner of Gnome and Garden. Find out more about what she does. Of course, Gnome with a G, G G-N-O-M-E, and garden.ca.